Yes, Indeed pod. I'm Marco Serrano, your host today. Uh, this time we're talking to Will Lentz uh, with Party First and Twilight War. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. This is really cool stuff that Marx is doing with this whole chain interview thing. Yeah, it puts us in a really interesting spot in, in a lot of ways and 100% positive for me anyway. Would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? Yeah, uh, of course. I'm Will, as Marco said, and uh, I am mostly still just starting out uh, in the indie tabletop space. So my first game, uh, Party First, dropped a couple of years ago, went straight to uh, drive through RPG for that. But since then, I've uh, put up a, a several other things, some smaller games, uh, several one-page games with the, the Second Guess uh, solo system. And last year, ran my first ever Kickstarter campaign for uh, Zine Quest 3 for Warmer in the Winter, which is a uh, like Hallmark Christmas romance movie style uh, powered by the Apocalypse game. That's great. So second time around with Kickstarter. That's pretty exciting. For this Kickstarter campaign, Twilight War, obviously it's a build on top of uh, your game Party First. Uh, what is your elevator pitch for Twilight War? So Twilight War, I wish I had dreamed up a formal elevator pitch. I should have thought about that before the interview. Mm-hmm. But basically it takes the 80s alt history world of Party First, which is angled uh, in the horror direction and bends that into the espionage direction horror is still intended to be there and part of the game and you can work in you know cthulian beasts and poltergeists and whatever you'd like but we wanted to bend this one into spies as well and uh secret police and you know agents on missions and all of that type of stuff i think the espionage part was one of the more interesting parts to me and you know it's kind of interesting because as i was reading through it i was like hey this you know sparks very great interest there like hey this is exciting and then how to run an espionage game you know i was like yeah okay so you went through a couple of inspirations for the espionage game are there any other games that you took inspiration from that are spy focused or or is this from the ground up kind of mechanics as far as being spy focused i don't think there are any other games that i drew from really on this for the spy aspect in particular the original core party first game definitely drew inspiration for some of the systems from like the storyteller, like World of Darkness type stuff, and uh, from Powered by the Apocalypse, and from even Seventh C Second Edition, and some of the the flavor and fluff, of course, from various Cthulhu properties. But in Twilight War, I had not actually dug into other espionage games until after we were pretty deep in into the planning on this. Now I'm aware of some others, like uh, I think maybe Project. Cassandra, which is something I'll be chatting about in another episode, but I 
pulled from things that, in fact, there are some mechanics here uh, that came into Twilight War because of my exposure to Forged in the Dark stuff and Blades in the Dark. But I'm not quite sure if I would call that an espionage game. I'm, it's heist and it, there's definitely skullduggery and, and that type of thing. It's it's related, but not quite the same. So it kind of is a mishmash of stuff. Right. I, I, I mean, I think the mechanics were very interesting done for it, or at least the writing part and the GM how to, like I said, it was one of the more exciting parts that I read about it. He mentioned some of the sources and mechanics for Party First. Let's shift there just for a second, just for anybody who is not familiar with the core system. There are a lot of very interesting mechanics that really force, you know, deep decisions for players. Uh, the first one I think of is the resource pools. If you can explain that mechanic a little bit and why you chose to develop the resource pools these ways, uh, I think that's one of the outstanding features. So I would love to hear more. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, the the resource pool stuff, there's several kind of interlocking systems here in the game. And the resource pools in particular were something that I think came up because prior to my time in indie tabletop RPG stuff, I was a longtime competitive card gamer, played the Game of Thrones card game for like 20 years, did a podcast for it for like 450 episodes all that kind of thing. So my, wow. my mind is kind of focused on how some of those systems interlock. A lot of competitive card games are about the the interplay of resources and efficiently managing them, even as they are used up uh, or your opponent attacks them and that type of thing. And so some of that kind of came out in the resource systems for Party First and how you have to efficiently manage those. For instance, one is morale, which is the group health total is kind of a way to think of it. So your whole party or team of adventurers, uh, your player characters have a morale that's based on how many of them there were to start out. And that can potentially be spent for abilities in the game, rerolls and things. And it can potentially be hurt by different events in the game, enemies uh, or potentially like a tension break or something. The entire party does stand the possibility of losing. It's worth pointing out that Party First is designed for one shots in general and uh, horror. Like things could go very, very badly. <laughs> so the the morale system and those tension breaks interlocks then with two other resource pools one being party points themselves, which also play into that aspect of players having to balance out the good of the party, the community, versus their individual uh, achievements and, and drives and desires. So like when you uh, are rolling for a conflict of some kind, you're going to have to make the choice of whether you are utilizing the party skill or your individual skill. So the, the party is kind of in world, uh, this is kind of wrapped up in the fluff too, is this, this kind of mandated, hey, no one is better than anyone else type of level playing field. So if you're looking at, say, your investigation skill or whatever, the party skill is the lowest skill of anybody in the entire party at that. But you always have the opportunity to potentially use your individual skill. You as an individual may be much better at 
uh, investigation. Maybe you've got a three or four in it or whatever it might be. And you can do that by spending a party point. So there's this trade-off and management of having to do things at the level of the rest of the group in order to gain party points, in order to later spend them to give yourself the opportunity to shine. The other one I mentioned, the tension pool, is another kind of meta currency or resource pool that is mostly dealt with by the actual GM. Not only is it a resource that they can spend for various adversaries' special abilities or to trigger you know, things like rerolls and, and whatever, but it also interacts with the world at large and kind of helps represent the narrative tension if you think of this like a uh, like a horror movie of some kind i've always used the example of your average horror movie where on any given day of the week a normal person pulls their keys out of their pocket unlocks their car door starts their car drives away no problem but in the course of the movie at night with the killer you know walking slowly down the street after you suddenly they get tangled up in your pocket you can't get them out it you know you try three or four times to get it into the slot and you can't get the door unlocked so tension is there to kind of represent that ratcheting difficulty of the world at large as more and more things happen. That's used for several things in the game. As I was reading the core book, Party First, I just realized that like not only is there like these meaningful player decisions based on, okay, how does this affect the rest of my crew? How does this affect my party points, etc.? Um, kind of group decisions and individual decisions combined, but it's also a very dynamic experience for the the game master where they just have this elegant balance of you know when to use these tension points because that affects the scenario in certain ways um and also you know with their conflict roles which i would like to hear about so the the system is a uh roll and keep you pick out your uh, dice pool based on an attribute plus a skill and you roll and you keep two dice and it's going to be opposed Potentially by an adversary of some kind, that's going to be your your monsters, your your other NPC humans, uh, potentially a animal or something. Any other active participant could be an adversary that's going to roll their their own pool to oppose you, and you know abilities and things may come into that back and forth. But the environment also is possible to roll against for a conflict, and and that's where tension comes into things. And as it builds in that pool, that represents the keys getting more and more difficult, and you getting freaked out as you try to get them into the the car door there so the further it gets into this kind of horror movie type of pacing the more tension has built up through other conflict roles rolling ones can add a point to the tension pool so that gets more and more difficult as the the game goes and you can always say try to get the keys into the car door again uh, and again and again if you fail but you keep adding to tension every time uh, that you attempt it again. Eventually, you're going to hit a point where tension breaks. And this is kind of my way to avoid an issue that some games run into, like, say, oh, D&D for an easy example, right? Where you're like, well, I, I try to unlock the treasure chest. Oh, great. I failed. Now what? Uh, I guess I try to unlock the treasure chest again. <laughs> it's really on the DM to like explain away, like, oh, no, you can't just keep trying it 
forever until you roll well enough to get it. In in Party First, you you are making that choice as a player to attempt the the car door again knowing that you're going to ratchet up tension and knowing that if tension hits a multiple of 10, that it's going to break. And that in-game, mechanic-wise, a a tension break is going to force an unexpected change to to the scene and what's going on. So in the game, we, we recommend using a tension table, and we've got three different examples in the, the core book, and there's going to be at least two more in the Twilight War example as well, with like six options on it. And the, the DM, if they want the granular control, can pick an option of a bad thing that happens, uh, or they could potentially roll. We also offer as an option if you really want to amp up that suspense to everybody at the table that, oh no, like what unexpected thing is going to happen? while I'm trying to get the keys in the car door while the killer's walking down the street, then suddenly a zombie stumbles around the corner, just to pick an absurd example. But the the tension break not only changes the scene in some way like that, in a mechanical sense, it may have penalties to those resource pools. Maybe morale goes down by one uh, because things have gotten so tense that everyone is demoralized or maybe you're you know walking somewhere and you suddenly step through the floorboards that break underneath you and you take a damage that you weren't expecting you just something that you knew it was building up to and then an unexpected thing occurs and it it helps not only mechanically with those re-roll situations but also from a story like narrative pacing direction where in these types of films they don't just have one constant build of suspense generally to one final confrontation at the end of the film normally there are multiple periods of this rising and falling throughout the course of it so you can you can replicate that in party first mechanically yeah i think i think it really does wonders for the the narration of it and as i said before you know as far as the the gm goes is this really nice balance it's just you know their motives and decisions and driving the narrative and then you know the mechanics just working for them you know things that are very unexpected for them as well and i, I really adore that in role-playing games is get, having the chance as a, as a game master to be you know surprised and really like rooting for the players while at the same time having things happen kind of out of your control or like yeah the game's about it's difficult you know and sometimes that can be tough as the the gm you're rooting for the players but in these darker games you do need to be presenting them with very difficult situations that are sometimes going to turn out poorly. And, uh, you know, the random rolls on the attention table can take some of that out of your hands so that you don't feel as conflicted about like, oh man, you know, I might accidentally kill this character. Like, well, hey, the players did it to themselves, forcing the tension break. Sorry, man, this is just the thing that happens. So it makes the rest of the table take some ownership of that uh, and take some of that weight off of your shoulders as a GM. Any push your luck mechanic. I think it's just really strong in these types of things. You know, it should should be random events that happen. It's for the better, especially for one shot games. You know, it's like mm-hmm. one shot games. You're sitting down at the table. It should be difficult. You're not really supposed to win all the time. Mm-hmm. And so something like these kinds of, you know, tension mechanics is like, you know, you lose and you just automatically want to play again. You automatically want to invest or fix the bad results that you got because of your own decisions. And, and that's really brilliant. But Twilight War is actually another source book for Party First, mainly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What role expansions are you most excited for? Because I noticed a lot of it here are new mechanics, new things that you can do inside of uh, the existing uh, rule set. There's several new things we are introducing, new classification of adversaries, and of course, some new classes, and there's going to be new features and, and abilities and, and things like that in kind of the smaller scale. We're also adding vehicles to the game because when we got to talking about this idea and delving into it, of course, we, we couldn't help but think, you know, 80s and spies like we go straight to bond and car chases and planes and and things like that so we knew that needed to be mechanically worked in somehow but probably the one i'm most excited about are the introduction of time mechanics timetables as we call them they are kind of an extension of some of these tension concepts this actually is the part that i mentioned was kind of inspired by Blades in the Dark and related games because that was my first real exposure to clocks, which have become very popular lately. And these spy genres, not only do they have those vehicle chases, but they have, you know, they're they're trying to defuse the bomb on the rocket, you know, before it launches and that type of thing. So the measurement of time in some way becomes very important to the plot. Will they do it before the timer gets to zero and that type of thing? And so we we wanted to work in a form of clocks to the game that also worked with the existing tension system. So this does not replace the tension table. We still want that there for the unexpected, right? The, the suspense in some ways is greater for the unexpected, but there are various forms of timetables here that work for the expected. You know that when the timer gets to zero, the bomb is going to explode or something like that. And so the tension mechanics in the game give us a way to actually track that progression of time as the timer ticks down, because in some games that is going to be entirely up to the GM and kind of their concept of pacing. In Twilight War, we've tied that into tension progression. So every time additional tension is added, the time tracker or clock, whichever you you want to call it, is going to tick up so that it interlocks with what the players are doing. And as they are going through more conflicts, time noticeably passes. So you can then use that in in various ways, like a countdown. You could uh, play around. We've had another idea that we kicked around about, say, you're trying to look for a contact at some kind of swanky party, and you are going around having social conflicts trying to interview people or i don't know maybe you're gambling in the high stakes poker game in the back and that type of thing and say you've got you know six spots on on this clock and the contact will be available to you in spots four five and six or something so you've got a blow time until your contact is available maybe you flip it and the contact is only available in you know sections one two and three and if you blow too much time doing other things you'll actually miss the contact that you're trying to make. So it just, it gives a lot of rich room on top of the existing tension system. Yeah. And, and the variation of those timetables you you mentioned to some extent already, but you know, you have kind of different timetables for the narrative, which I think is mainly what you just discussed. You know, you, you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time and not yeah. be able to have the discussion you need. You also have, you know, the simplest you mentioned is like the danger timetable, 
when the danger is growing and events. And then one of the more complex ones, uh, if you don't mind uh, giving a little more information on, was the tug of war timetable. Yeah. Tug of war is, like you said, one of the more complex options. And that for most scenarios is probably going to be a matter of zooming out further uh, and handling something from the bigger picture. So something like we were talking about, like with danger or something, you've got the immediate situation of the timer counting down. Something like tug of war, on the other hand, might be, say you're looking at um, control of Baerberg, the kind of Berlin stand-in divided city, divided between the East and the West, and you're wanting to kind of track public sentiment between the East and the West, who the, the populace is most likely to to side with or support. And so you could, you could have a tracker that, again, just picking the six-point option to start with, that maybe it starts at, at three, and you could tick up or down based on consequences uh, so that you are trying to get the populace to move all the way to your side of this conflict uh, or to gain control of a particular area or something. So you can you can handle much bigger picture stuff with some of that kind of thing. So you could have multiples going at once uh, of different types. Yeah, I really enjoyed the tug of war uh, aspect of it. I think that is a very interesting way to you know deal with time because uh, in those types of scenarios, a lot of times time is extended. It doesn't happen in a matter of exactly this many interactions or this many days, you know, mm-hmm. things change, you know, things take time to play out. Last question I really want to ask is sharing a little bit about the team working on Party First, you know, where they come from, what are they doing and what, you know, what are they bringing to the table that really makes uh, Twilight War and Party First, you know, phenomenal? Well, we've got a great team together uh, on this. First up is going to be Jared Leopold, who is my uh, co-creator on this book, who is just a font of ideas. He's someone that I've known for a long time through that that card game background, who has been into tabletop role-playing games for ages. I want to say maybe like an old version of Rifts, he said, might have been his first thing. So he's he's been around forever Uh, But just recently has started work on his own stuff. He had been kind enough to support me on Party First, the the core book, and then just kind of fell in love with the world and the system and started throwing ideas at me. And I said, okay, well, how about how about we work together on something? So he's he's great. Also, I've got Zach Gorley who uh, I've known from my local role-playing group, uh, who's also done some work for the DMs Guild and some writing for 7C Second Edition, really gets my tone for the world. Another associate, uh, Evan Perlman's going to edit for me, uh, who I ran into from the 7C community and has been great on everything I've worked with him on. And lastly is our uh, graphic designer, which is an old school buddy of mine who did Party First. He's going to be doing Twilight War for us as well. He may even be doing some really cool stretch goals, depending on uh, how this all goes down. But it's just kind of a hobby for him, but he knocks it out of the park. That's awesome. Yeah, the art is incredible. I'm excited for the Kickstarter page to be live just so people can see more of it. And then absolutely last thing, Will, please tell everybody where they can find you online. Yeah, so... The easiest way to hop on for Twilight War is going to be bit.ly slash 
Twilight War. That'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page. You can you can sign up as a follower or back us if you're listening to this after we've launched on February 8th. I also have Facebook uh, and Twitter and Instagram pages all for Game Anomicon, the uh, company I'm publishing under. And the most active of those is probably the Twitter account, which is, of course, at the underscore Gamenomicon. That's like Necronomicon, but replace Necro with Game. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Will. I really appreciate talking to you. I really love setting aside time uh, to read through the two books. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing additional thoughts on those. Thanks for uh, hopping on here and doing this with me, Marcos. And I uh, look forward to seeing your game as well. Thank you so much. Have a good one ahead of you, Will. Thanks. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Spicy Tuna and Will for the interview. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Today's episode is sponsored by Kyle Tam of Urania Games. Mariah, a game of ordinary people facing insurmountable odds, is itch funding now. Take on the challenges of the gods through the power of dice and personal sacrifice in order to prove humanity's worth. Check out the game at urania-games.itch.io slash mariah. complement the Yes Indeed Pod event, all through February, Yes Indeed Pod is running a Patreon drive. We're trying to hit $200 per month so that we can continue to pay all of our guests as well as hire a podcast transcriber. If you sign up during February, on top of the usual benefits of being a subscriber, you can also get some exclusive merchandise. Sign up at $2 to get a handwritten postcard, as well as regular shoutouts and access to our guest and subscriber Discord server. At $5 per month, you can also join our monthly editing and chat streams, and I'll send you a handwritten greetings card and your choice of Yes Indeed pod stickers. And at $20 per month, join our book club, where every month you get free PDFs from one of our guests. As well as a greetings card and stickers, you'll also get an exclusive, personalised faux leather bookmark for your RPG reading. So remember, if you love Yes Indeed pod and want to support what we do, and get some exclusive merchandise, be sure to check out patreon.com slash yesindeedpod. If you can't commit regularly, you can always help out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you find your podcasts, or by donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod. That's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. All music is adapted from Nothing Like Captain Crunch from Slam Funk by Broke for Free, available on the Free Music Archive and released under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. Until next time, remember, does indie need you? Yes, indeed.